0: The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Bowl season is here, the coaching carousel is in full swing, the transfer portal is bigger than ever, and we're excited to dive into our preparations for 2022. But we'd also like to offer a sincere thank you to everyone who signed up this year at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Whether you join Tier 1 for a single month or have been a Tier 3 member for years, your contribution helps keep us up and running and funds updates and new features. We smashed our previous records in 2021, both in terms of members and funds, and plan to invest that support into future projects to provide more value to listeners, readers, and subscribers in 2021 and beyond. Thank you for making 2021 our most successful season yet, and for helping pave the road to an even better 2022.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogdan. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogdan Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. For all of you guys looking for us on Twitter, it is national championship time, boys. We are here. It was a completely unbelievable, not predictable championship of two SEC teams Once again, we definitely didn't see this three or four years ago. Was it three seasons ago that we saw this? So, um, you know, but look, these are the two best teams in the country. So um, it is appropriate that they are here playing for the national title. Uh, We are going to get to the game, of course, but there's so much happening in college football right now. Obviously, a lot of players are declaring for the NFL draft. We have major moves in the transfer portal going on. Uh, You know, there's coaching rumors, all that stuff. I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was last year, but there are rumors. So let's just go ahead and start with the uh, NFL draft uh, declarations here, Nick, because I think the deadline is the 18th to declare. And there have been more players declaring than there are draft spots by a wide margin. So that's kind of strange, but we're in a strange time. So um, I know you have a list on uh, the CFB Winning Edge uh, spreadsheet here. So kind of just tell us about the list and tell us why there are an overwhelming amount of players this year.
0: Yeah, on, on our current list, there are 514 players <laughs> who have in some way officially declared, or or I guess in some, in some cases maybe they haven't because there have been guys who have been on the list who I've been seeing the last couple of days, you know, new tweets, new edits, whatever, saying they're declaring. Part of it is I I went through and tried to accumulate as many of the rosters or, you know, tweets, whatever, of the All-Star Games. So the Senior Bowl roster went through that, the uh, East-West Shrine Game, College Gridiron Showcase, NFLPA, uh, whatever it's called, Collegiate Bowl, Tropical Bowl, Hula Bowl. There's all these All-Star Games and last year I was I was real hesitant to build a list like this because we saw some guys, you know, the senior bowl is what the, the top one. Right. I mean, all the the highest yeah. rated guys as long senior as they ball graduated the
1: West Shrine game. Those are the two big, big ones.
0: Right. Right. And so even last year, I mean, Kenny Pickett was invited and I think accepted an invite to the senior bowl and then decided he was coming back. So, of course, didn't end up going. Uh, and it just seemed like there was less of a chance of that happening this year. So I decided, okay, I'm going to jump into it. am going to start building all those. And then there's so much kind of uncertainty with, you know, what what are guys' eligibility status to begin with? And this time last year, started kind of formulating an idea of what we're going to do in our 2021 team profiles and tried to differentiate, added a column for like amount, uh, you know, eligible, number of eligible, excuse me, number of years eligible remaining. But that hasn't been 100% accurate. I've been trying every time I get an update, you know, to, to try to make those as correct as possible. But even a full season ahead of it, there's still some where, you know, I'll see, oh, so-and-so entered the transfer portal and I'll go through and look at the team sheets and, oh, I thought they were a super senior. So, you know, I'm still trying to to figure some of that out, but thankfully in some ways, some some ways it's a little bit annoying, but thankfully in, in other ways, it seems like everybody in the world, whether they have an extra year of eligibility or not, is releasing one of those <laughs> edits where, you know, I right. like to thank God and my family and my teammates and every coach I've ever had, And, you know, that's great. These guys uh, coming to the end of their college career, I understand it, you know, want to want to say some nice things and and, uh, formally move on to, to the next stage in their life. But also it's it's helpful because, you know, some of those guys I have listed as having fulfilled their eligibility. Some of those guys have two or three years, according to my records. But anyway, regardless, I mean, yeah, we were talking how many draft picks are there? And I think it's around 250, right? Seven rounds, yeah. 32 so usually teams it depends and then a on few.
1: picks, But it's always right, like exactly. between 260 and 270, usually it's somewhere in that range.
0: Right. So there there will be quite a few guys obviously go undrafted, but undrafted free agents we see uh, not only get camp invites, but make it on rosters every year. Uh, the CFL, USFL today just announced uh, head coaches uh, for their upcoming year. And, and so, you know, there will be other opportunities for these guys, but yeah, at, at first glance, and once I first started to build this list and I'm adding a dozen every day, uh, you know, the last week or so, um, there will be 500, 600 plus when all is said and done by the time that that final date because we we actually haven't had a whole lot of early declare guys yet uh usually that number is around 100 i think and and there's maybe two dozen, uh, maybe maybe it's gotten up a little bit more than that. But I would I would expect quite a few guys from Georgia, Alabama, and then you know just minutes before we started recording, uh, Dax Hill at Michigan. I mean, there's there's going to be more of the early declare guys coming. So I would assume that this list will be 600 plus uh, by time you know that that official date uh, rolls around.
1: Yeah, at least that that's not aggravating at you at all for the uh you know the keeper of the depth charts here, of <laughs> course, as it's you're helpful, known. You know? uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's helpful for sure, but just all those guys, that's that's a lot. So um, you know, but but look, you're doing a great job at, at keeping pace with it. So as always, um, yeah, as always. I mean, I have a hard time uh keeping up with all this. I'm like, okay, but this guy my my, my first thought is always <laughs> like my first thought is always like why would you declare on some of these kids? Like, (laughs) why, what, like, not, not that, like, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's like, you have an extra year of eligibility to improve yourself. Do that. Because right right now you're a fifth round pick at best there. This class is deep and it's good.
0: It really is. So so some of the things, and it's, and it's, uh, sometimes that question comes up, why declare? Sometimes I think of it in a similar way. Like, why is this guy transferring? And some of it, and you know, I, I don't think either we're not thinking about it enough, or maybe some people don't realize. But last year, when they gave everybody an extra year of eligibility, right, they could go teams could go over the 85 scholarship limit. This year, they have to get back down to the 85 scholarship right. limit. So, teams that had a bunch of uh, you know, super seniors or or what have you, I mean, there are there are some guys who are getting a little squeezed out so there might be some right. of these seniors who have an extra year of eligibility.
1: Uh who and the teams are maybe saying, the coaching staff's like moving on. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. We're, you know, we need to get younger. We need we've got depth at this position. We've got Just somebody declare more and hope you time. show
1: out at the combine or a pro day or something and have a good time or some coach likes you, you know.
0: Sure. So so that could be a little piece of it, but I mean we're seeing that in, in transfers and stuff too. Some guys have academic issues you know, some guys have just financial issues. Some guys, you know, they've been in school for five or six years, and they're just ready to move on. So right. and they'll say, yeah, I'm declaring for the draft. And hey, if somebody picks me, great. <laughs> if not, I'll go be an accountant. or Yeah, use you know, my degree. So, right. right. So,
1: so there's, there's exactly. a lot
0: of reasons. Uh, but I, I certainly understand. Yeah, sometimes you look at like, now, why? Why did that guy I declare? selfishly, <laughs>
1: of course, think of myself, like, how the hell am I going to watch film on uh, 600 kids? You <laughs> know, uh, and I'm not. So that, that's the uh, that's the, the blunt answer is not all these guys are going to get it looked at. So that's just uh, the way it goes. But, uh, you know, we also had I mean, just you, you want to kick up a hornet's nest. Uh, I mean, the transfer portal is like that Hansel. It's hot right now. Uh, There are so many uh, big time names moving. We just saw Zach Evans today uh, move on and go uh, to Ole Miss, which I think is a great fit for him. For us uh, college fantasy nerds, that's going to be a great landing spot. Uh, But then we saw Caleb Williams leave Oklahoma. So um, that was surprising. I think to say the least Uh, you know, they did get Dylan Gabriel immediately afterwards from UCF who we all, yeah, I think he had even said he was going to go to UCLA obviously had not uh, signed or whatever. So he is going to go ahead and go to Oklahoma, but a lot of moves right here, uh, Nick and and, um, where do we think Caleb Evans is going to end up? Is it going to be, you know, I know Xavier has, he's wearing his tinfoil hat right now. He's sent me a bunch of texts about um uh the georgia potentially getting him i know that there was a funny one from charlie batch in the uh video game company he started offering uh him a million bucks to go to eastern michigan which i just you know somehow don't think that's gonna pan out but uh (laughs) you know that's a lot of money so uh but i mean other other schools are gonna offer him a, a ton so um you know, let's start with Caleb Williams and go there, Nick. And uh, anybody else you want to talk about?
0: Well, uh, you know, he's certainly been the topic of conversation this week, and Caleb Williams worked his way into be the starter in uh, one of the potentially most explosive offenses in the country, at least one that, that came in with those expectations and performed really quite well, took the job away from the preseason Heisman favorite and Spencer Rattler. So it's obvious that he would be in great demand. Uh, He's from the East coast. I know a lot of times, you know, people think of uh, geography in these situations. It's often the first thing that comes to my mind. Like I've got him listed as being from DC. I don't know if he spent his entire high school career there. I, I, as I've mentioned before, don't, pay a whole lot of uh, attention to the recruiting process until guys sign on signing day. So I know sometimes, you know, there might be a prep school or or what have you, but um, you know, so so I think, okay, is, is that maybe something to think about? Is there an East coast school that, that would be a perfect fit? And then you think, okay, well relationships, obviously Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma to go to USC. A lot of the immediate thinking is, Oh, USC is probably the team to beat here. Of course, right after, uh, the news broke that he was going to enter the transfer portal. Uh, there were some folks reporting that Georgia would be high on the list, which, which would be kind of interesting. Um, so, you know, with him specifically, I would imagine he could go just about anywhere he wants to go and he could end up just about anywhere. I've seen some other rumors on, on, uh, online where, you know, maybe North Carolina gets in the mix and, and different reasons for why that might be the case. So uh, I usually kind of sit back and, and, you know, wherever he ends up, then I'll start paying more attention. But uh, as we've seen dozens of starting quarterbacks enter the transfer portal this year, you know, this might be the most in demand player we've seen yet. Um, and, And certainly somebody that, you know, he, he, if he had stayed at Oklahoma and even if he could, you know, return to Oklahoma, it's still a possibility. Uh, You know, it it might not seem likely with Dylan Gabriel headed there, but um, if, if he were to return to Oklahoma, he would be what top three preseason Heisman favorite Uh, and probably wherever he ends up, he might be in in that same type of situation. So, you know, we can't ignore it. It, it, He, Caleb Williams is, is certainly one of the most gifted quarterbacks uh, out there and, certainly now that, that he's got the ability to go potentially anywhere, um, going to be one of the, one of the biggest uh, off-season transactions of, of uh, the cycle for sure. And, and could continue to sort of, you know, the, the dominoes will continue to fall in this sort of quarterback uh, carousel. But as far as, other guys that, that interest me. I mean, yeah, Zach Evans I think is, is certainly uh, an intriguing one. I'm, uh, you know, we were mentioning the NFL draft guys. Why, why is that guy declaring? I think that a little at times with transfer portal guys, because Arkansas had two starting safeties in the last 24 hours, enter the transfer portal. And so is it okay? Are they kind of seeing what their options are or you know, what's, what's kind of the situation going there. Cause Arkansas seems like a team on the rise, you know, what's going yeah. to, what's going to happen. And uh, Pittman of course, seems
1: like a great coach too. So absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So it's not surprising to see guys leave,
0: uh, you know, more quarterbacks, Zach Calzada earlier today uh, announced that he's committed to Auburn. Exactly. Um, I mean, there's, you know, just a, a ton of moving pieces. One thing that really has jumped out to me and, and, We talk about this a little bit uh, later as well, but um, I'm I'm going through, you know, the NFL draft stuff, of course, the transfer stuff, of course. One thing I'm noticing this time last year or, you know, with the extra year of eligibility, offensive lines specifically, a lot of positions overall. But it it was striking how much more experience offensive lines had coming into the 2021 season. And I think we're going to be in a complete opposite situation This year or in 2022, where you're going to see like last year, there were more uh, teams returning four or five starters than we've seen in recent history, maybe ever Uh, this year. It feels like early on and it's it's way too early to get into specific numbers, but it feels like we're going to have a lot more teams losing four and five starters on the offensive line than usual. Defensive line probably in a similar situation. So, like, I'm obviously keeping up with all these transfers. And when I see guys like, you know, Miami has a starting inside uh, interior defensive lineman, Nesta Jay Severa, who's a 100 rated player. I mean, that's, that's somebody who's going to get dozens of Power Five offers. And you might even see, I mean, we've already talked about a couple of uh, G5 transfer offensive linemen, some FCS offensive defensive linemen guys you've never heard of had no idea like, Oh, that guy's really, really good. Uh, or maybe they're even, you know, not a spec, you know, not a, not a future superstar, <laughs> right. but there are going to be so many holes to fill along the line of scrimmage quarterbacks, anybody with experience, still position players right. get a lot of the headlines. But I mean, these, these interior you know, big body guys are in high high demand, so uh, that's that's one thing I'm going to be looking at. In addition to just sort of the you know quarterbacks, dozens of guys changing teams, uh, but how are these teams going to rebuild along the offensive line? Because I think that's going to you know tell us a lot looking at at 2022. Who's going to be in a good situation up front compared to teams that just have so many guys that they've got to replace? So uh, kind of a uh, I guess outside. Thought there, but uh something that I think is going to be really impactful when it's all said and done.
1: Uh Xavier, what are your thoughts on some of these guys transferring? And uh let's start with Caleb Williams and and give me the breakdown of your tinfoil hat theory here. Let's hear it. Uh it's not just how, how he... Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know it's not yours. You you sent us the uh you know the whole <laughs> breakdown.
2: Here. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, you know, with the NIL now and teams being more able to offer players, you know, capital, why not come, you know, why not come to a team that's currently in the national championship game, you know, has the ability to get there next year, brings back pretty much every returning starter on offense outside of maybe your running back room. But we all know Georgia has probably one of the deepest running back rooms Mm -hmm. in the country. Let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, You know, your offensive line, for the most part, returns for next year. You'll only be missing maybe George Pickens going into next season. Maybe that's a stretch. You have the best tight end in football coming back next year. I'm just saying, Caleb Williams in the SEC, and on top of that, you get to throw a big middle finger up to Spencer Rattler when you beat him in week four. What's the (laughs) problem there? I mean, this is a a win-win for him in that situation. You know, at the end of the day, you, you know, you get to you know not only did you take his job at Oklahoma, but you can also, you know, crush his national championship hoax. I mean, this is like I said, Caleb Williams to Georgia just makes sense. You see how we allow Seton Bennett to not only be a quarterback that throws the football in the pocket, but also you see the ability to be mobile. We're definitely we're definitely going to allow you to do the same things. Caleb, Todd Munkins is going to have a field day drawing up QB draws for you. Within you know four verticals, if he has to do so. I mean, come on. It, 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 look around the SEC East as well. You said you just had Jack Miller come from Ohio State to Florida. Still his shine. Go ahead and go to Georgia and just be the hottest commodity coming into the SEC next year. You know, outside of possibly, outside of uh, probably Bryce Young. So I mean, I just think it's a win-win for Caleb Williams in all forms of fa- you know and, and fashion. I me. like
1: that you just did a whole sales pitch to him too, like you
2: were speaking <laughs> to
1: him. Uh, but uh, is there anybody else that you've seen going to the transfer portal that either had you raise an eyebrow or just your overall thoughts? Because, like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff. That, there's a lot of old man attitude going on. Oh,
2: in absolutely. All
1: right now. And, and, you know, you saw Herb Street talk about how uh, kids these days don't have, these passion, these for days don't have the uh, passion. I mean, my like guy
2: used to back in my days.
1: Unbelievably yeah. eye rolling, you know. <laughs> and and I'm I'm a little bit younger than Herbie, but I'm not that much younger than Herbie, so I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Uh, Desmond Howard had the same thing, uh, to say too. I mean, I just right. think some of that stuff is goofy, but your thoughts on uh, some of these other guys, Zach Evans and uh, you know, yeah. like Calzada and all those guys?
2: Yeah, I love some of the moves. I love that Max Johnson's not going to be throwing to his brother at, tex- at Texas A&M, possibly to start the year off, uh, you know, at Texas, you know, um. Uh, Max Johnson transferring from LSU. Obviously, I love Zach Calzada going to Auburn. I think that's a great move for him. I think Brian Harson wins in that situation. Uh, my favorite one, and I, and I think I even said this on the last podcast, but Michael Penix going to Washington. It's my favorite one so far, um, as I think Washington is genuinely at this point a quarterback away. Uh, Keaton Slovis at Pitt hasn't gotten nearly as much publicity as I think it should. Um, you know, before Kenny Pickett started the year off, Everybody had Kenny Pickett as maybe a fourth, you know, fourth, fourth round, fifth round kind of guy. He turned into a first round, second round kind of guy this year. That's due in large part to his hard work off the field, but they did an excellent job with him. Um and really they're only losing Jordan Addison at receiver going into after this year. So he's gonna have plenty of, you know. Oh. Go ahead, Nick. You're muted. Add- Addison's just a true sophomore. He'll be back. So now he's got, you know, he's probably got one of the the, the Belitnikov winner you know, to throw two going into next year. So he's going to have a great uh,
0: They added uh, Keonta Mumfield mm-hmm. from Akron, mm-hmm. who was, uh, you know, if, if you weren't closely watching Maction, might have missed him, but was incredibly <laughs> productive. Yeah. Uh, and probably somebody that that we will have underrated. He's a 78 mm-hmm. uh, in our current rating. So when he goes up as a, as a, a sophomore, he was a true freshman out of Georgia, six one one eighty 6'1", 180 type guy. Uh, but, Really, really productive at Akron. I mean he and he and uh Addison will be a pretty solid one two punch there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's definitely uh one of interest. Wanna know what they're doing with the offensive coordinator hire there. Don't know mm-hmm. what that right. Is, but but yeah, I mean that's that that's an interesting one for sure.
2: Yeah. Uh Connor Basilick heading to Indiana. I think is just a fun one. Uh personally. I think you know he has an opportunity. He's I don't think he really ever had he was ever the guy in Missouri. I kind of feel like they were waiting on the current uh, freshman class to come in with Sam Horn uh, and Luther Burden. I think those were the guys that highlight this class that came in from Missouri that I felt like, you know, they were kind of waiting for them the whole time. And basically like was kind of like a, you know, we'll give you a shot this year, but we've got these two freshmen coming in that we're really, really high on uh, And my favorite one. And this is the last one I'll end on, but John Rice Plumley, where does he go and what position does he play? You know, this yeah. is a guy who two years ago was fighting for the job from, with Matt Corral. Uh, I think broke the single game rushing record for a quarterback against LSU uh, at the end of the uh, international championship year, where he ran for like 275 or something like that in a game that ended like 67, 37 at the end of that year. Um, then he moves to receiver, obviously, after losing his job to Matt Corral. You know, th- where does he go? And what position does he play? Because personally, you know, I would love to see him go back to that quarterback. I think this is a guy who, you know, has the ability to, at least athletically, could go anywhere in the country and and play right away, uh, just depending on what that position is. You know, is he a guy who ends up in the Pac-12 and decides, you know, I'm going to go back to the quarterback position and try to see if I can make it work in that regard? Or, or does he think that receiver is his way to get into the NFL, you know, much like, a, you know, a reverse Ryan Tannehill, you know, and, and attempts to do that? So, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, lots of transfers and lots more to come too. So we'll Absolutely. be talking about this the whole off season, of course. Um, there was a rumor, another rumor. I I want to get your take on here, uh, Nick, that Jim Harbaugh might have some interest in the Vegas Raiders job here. So uh, interesting. Um, I I feel like we he just got out of the you're not going to get fired stage <laughs> at Michigan. And you know because he made the tournament and everything, and Michigan is a great team and they have been good. Uh, obviously, this was their best year. Uh, now his name is hot, and there might be some mutual interest. I just, I kind of just don't see Harbaugh leaving the college ranks. So, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's right around the time uh, they were
0: restructuring everything last year. There was a little bit of buzz that maybe he might have an interest in going back to the NFL and maybe there would be an opportunity out there. It, it strikes me as something that, you know, maybe we haven't seen the last of Harbaugh at the NFL that, that wouldn't, uh, that would not shock me. And in one way of thinking about it, what better way to go out at Michigan? I mean, yeah, you, you turned it around uh, went from, you know, the annual hot seat to Hey, your team to the playoff, beat Ohio State. You know, uh, there's not much better. And I don't expect, because Michigan's going to be losing a lot, don't expect they're going to be able to, you know, repeat as uh, Big Ten champs, playoff contender, beat Ohio State. It's not, you know, the early look ahead doesn't, doesn't quite uh, see that as as being highly likely. So instead of maybe falling back down a little bit, if there's an opportunity, maybe you jump. You leave Michigan, uh, sort of at at the height of your uh, uh, tenure there, and and kind of leave with a, everybody having a good taste in their mouth. Is you know, yeah, took us to the playoff, brought Michigan back, all that good stuff. So, I could I could kind of see it. I I I am not an NFL <laughs> watcher much. You know, I'm not I'm not a huge. Uh, NFL fan that type of thing I just happen to I've always just for whatever reason preferred the college game but from a coaching perspective, I totally get it like in the NFL yeah. you do biggest state. football yeah. <laughs> and yeah. in the college game, you do politics and recruiting, right. which kind of sucks if you're not you know if you don't love it and so I you know I, from a coaching perspective, I totally I Totally get why he would maybe even prefer his shaking NFL. hands with
1: season ticket holders is way different than having to recruit. So, yeah, he's not to recruit, but you know, yeah. it's the money that does the recruiting for you. I
2: mean, and, and we're talking about a guy who his first off season in college football essentially got cussed out by pretty much every big coach possible for doing the satellite caps, right? Like, this is a guy who tried to push the envelope when he first got into college football, and everybody was like, Hey, buddy, there's unwritten they rules take the here.
1: Team to the Vatican. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. what, what yeah. they, they went to they went to Rome. Do,
0: they went to like South Africa. Uh, yeah, they went, uh, there was one other in there as well. But yeah, it was. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, all
2: right.
1: You know, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm with some of those other coaches like the satellite. You have your practice wherever you want, want in the States. I don't care. But, uh you know, uh, taking the whole team to Rome. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, how, <laughs> to the Vatican. I mean, these kids are Catholic. I mean, you know, that's a, uh, a whole different thing. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your point here, but uh, so I guess if you had to bet right now, Harbaugh stays in Michigan or he goes to Vegas, what
2: would you say? Stays in Michigan.
1: I, I think,
0: I mean, there's only 32 NFL jobs, only a handful of them open each year. You know, the odds of any one person getting one of those jobs is fairly low. I mean, Jim Harbaugh did take a team to the Super Bowl, so I would expect that there's an owner out there who would think, yeah, I uh, would be interested in in bringing this guy in. He would probably be an
1: owner that just lost their head coach to some controversial stuff. So sure,
0: sure. And there's a tie and uh, Harbaugh coached with the Raiders before. So, uh, you know, he's, he's got experience there. He's got, I mean, I know they're not in the Bay area anymore, but he, you know, has experience uh, was, was just down the street for a while there. So, I mean, I think he would be on a pretty short list, but is it greater than 50, 50 that he leaves Michigan? Maybe not. Maybe he's, uh, maybe this is a, 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 uh, what's, what's the, What's the word? The guy who you hired to negotiate your contract? Agents? Oh yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah maybe yeah. his agent, agents. You know? Oh that yeah, that there's, guy, there's some right. interest there, and and kind of let's get back a little of that money that we uh, negotiated our our uh, you know reduced salary last year. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Uh, although does Harbaugh doesn't have an agent? Is that right? I don't know. Anyway, I, who, who,
1: who uh, knows? Maybe maybe there's. I would not be surprised. Maybe
0: there's something something else out there, but uh, I, I you know. I think it's probably close to 50-50. I mean, yeah, if he had an opportunity, I, I would think he would
1: think real strongly about it uh, for sure. I think if they offer it to him, he'll take it. But I don't know if they're going to actually offer it to him. I, I, I think
2: he'll like, get the offer. I you don't think so? Think, I just don't think if I'm if I'm him, why would I want to go to two of the most dysfunctional franchises in football right now? Like It's either between the Raiders or the Jaguars, and I don't want to go to either one. Be perfectly yeah, really I'm honest, not going you. to Jacksonville, I don't, see yeah. That. Like, I just don't. There's no any.
1: why would Jacksonville hire him? They just did a college coach, a exactly. Court and exactly. So, I know um, Harbaugh has experience in the NFL, at least, in, in and yeah, so it's 90, a little bit different,
2: but, but yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh-huh. I'm good. I, I just got over the hump at Ohio State. So, like, I mean, if you're before, gonna hire
1: any college coach at Jacksonville, it needs to be Dabo, you know, to get him back with Trevor Lawrence, right? And Travis so, Etienne, both on the same team, and Travis Etienne, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we actually just did a mock on uh ITL Fantasy Football Pod the other day and Etienne mm-hmm. stinky, right? Because he's low, low in those ranks because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he didn't play the whole year because of Liz yep. surgery. So uh yeah, in- interesting one. But yeah, I I I think he stays in Michigan because like to me, he I, th- I feel like he is comfortable there and yes, he just got out from that hot seat stuff. So yep. you know, uh he can think- kind of push on. Dude, I think beating Ohio state gives you three or four years of no hot seat too. So, you know, I, I, and getting into the, the playoff, I think that gives you a little bit of leeway. Like you said, Absolutely this is sure. just the, the counterbalance to get himself that money back. I think more than anything, I think that's a good point you made, Nick. Uh, let's do one more thing before we get to the natty. I know everybody wants to hear about the national title game and we will break it down with Xavier and Nick, of course, but This time of year is when we start seeing some books put out, at least right after the national championship, the odds for next year's national champion. Mm -hmm. And uh, you picked up a bunch of these last year, Nick. And, of course, you still have some in play because Bama and Georgia are playing in the national title game. So um, let's hear what you have to say about the potential for a 2022 national champion.
0: Yeah, it, it's always something that I like to look ahead. I'm, I'm basically always looking ahead as soon as you know the the season starts. Even I, you know, I've, most I've had intriguing one game eye. is the
1: next one, right? <laughs> sure,
0: sure. Uh, but in recent years, we've had some success at this time of the year identifying maybe not the the next national champion. Although, actually, this time. Uh, or in January of each of the last three years, did actually play some bets on the eventual national champion at some decent prices. LSU was 25 to one, uh, two or three years ago, Alabama was, uh, it was either six or eight to one. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but Georgia 10 and a half to one this time last year. So there were in a lot of people's or in a lot of books, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh slot, uh, as far as odds go, but we kind of identified, and, and I believe on the show here talked a little bit about that. I thought Georgia had a legitimate shot at being number one in our preseason power rankings once we, you know, got through all the roster updates and all the, uh, you know, progressing experience and all that good stuff. Uh, it turned out they were a strong number two, but obviously, you know, there's there's some value there, and whether or not they win uh, on Monday you know, having some, whatever the right word is, some value kind of uh, in the bank there, you know, you could hedge a little bit with Alabama, what have you, but um, at least each of the last three years have had a a pretty good uh, outlook. And we're not always just zeroing in on one team. I mean, I, I, everything I said about Georgia, I also said about Oklahoma, obviously that ended up not working out. Uh, But for a while there, it looked pretty good to where, you know, maybe two of the top, You know, playoff teams we were going to have some value in and and could do some things toward the end of the year if you wanted to hedge or, or what have you. But I'm, I'm always looking ahead and I have gotten used to sort of the way we do things, uh, projection wise, team ratings wise. And I've obviously been digging into transfers and NFL draft and, and all that. So I feel like, you know, I, I, I don't know the, Final numbers yet, obviously. I mean, we don't even know the the full list of guys at Alabama and Georgia who be entering the draft and, and other people as well. But I can kind of make some educated guesses on. Okay, it looks like Georgia is going to have to replace a lot of guys on defense, right? I mean that that seems fairly likely. Alabama always is replacing you know a bunch of guys, but yeah. there are some other teams out there that, yeah, maybe some other people are really uh, early on. I mean, I, this time last year, I, I thought I was smart and ahead of the curve by saying, yeah, Oklahoma could be one of those teams. Well, it turns out everybody else knew that too, but you know, maybe as we're starting to look ahead a little bit, um, maybe we can identify a, a team or two where they might not win the national championship. They might not even make the playoff, but they might, uh, provide a little bit of value to where that initial listing at the book is, is, uh, you know, provides a little bit of value and maybe that gives you some flexibility during the season uh, you know it, depending on how you you want to play those things but uh, yeah it's just this time of year I always kind of like to get a, a short list together of some teams that you know might potentially be a little bit undervalued and if that first list comes out and it seems that a team I think is going to be a you know top five type team they're listed somewhere you know eight nine, ten, eleven. 11. Uh, at least as far as the odds go, that might be a team that I, you know, am am looking to bet on. So, all
1: right. So, yeah, I mean, I think we can put together some teams that are are going to be bettable for the national title for 2022 at this point. So, uh, I mean, Alabama is always going to be there. Uh, Georgia, even losing talent, is going to be up there. Who are a couple other teams, and, and what do you? What do you kind of expect the odds to be for these teams? Do you have numbers in your head? Do you have numbers that you've uh, maybe put together from, uh, you know, how we have their rosters rated on CFP winning edge? Uh, How do you look at that stuff?
0: So the first thing I look at is
1: current power ranking. And
0: what do our, uh, you know, end of season power rankings today or what they will look like after Monday uh, be compared to just sort of how teams stack up? I haven't you know, built out all the schedules and all that. So I don't have exact uh, projected win totals yet and things like that. Those will be coming in the next couple of months, but more so it's, okay, I think this is a, you know, number one contending team. Are they top of the list on DraftKings or Bovada or, you know, whatever it is you're using Uh, and, and just sort of comparing it like that. This team I think has a legitimate shot at being number four, number five, Preseason, but they're listed with the eighth best odds. There's a little bit of value there, so it's it's mostly the power rankings. Number one, but two, the the roster strength, um, and sort of looking at okay, one because the biggest piece of the puzzle at roster strength is quarterback. Does this team expect to have uh, one the same quarterback back, or can we you know safely assume they'll be able to? put a, a top tier quarterback transfer, you know, is that team legitimate, you know, Caleb Williams type uh, team right. or, or uh, a, 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 you know, surefire starter or have maybe a five star or a high four star moving up. Uh, but then also, you know, recruiting background, recruiting strength and, and history, you can kind of say, okay, this team, you know, Iowa state, for example, We've talked a lot this year and in, in all off season about how because of their experienced roster, you know, they have a roster strength that's top 20, but they recruit in the 40s, 50s. Right. So they're losing a lot of those guys. They're going to be a lot closer to 50 than they are 20, 20 probably yeah. and in roster strength next year. So we can we can throw them out. Oklahoma, they're fifth in our power rankings right now. They have a top 10 roster. Yeah, Caleb Williams is gone, but actually, you know, just looking at his individual player rating right now, Dylan Gabriel has a higher rating than Caleb Williams. So will they drop off? Are they a top five team? It's it's possible. So it's kind of, you know, looking at how things uh, stand in our current setup, identifying likely changes and, and kind of gaming out a little bit, is that team going to rise or, or are they going to fall? And it's not, you know, it's not exact. Like I said, last year, I thought Georgia was going to be number one. It turned out they were number two. But, you know, there there will be uh, certainly a margin of error. But, you know, for the most part, I can at least get a little bit of a, a sense of direction. Is this team rising compared to where we have them now, or are they falling?
1: I always love this time of year too, uh, Xavier, because Alabama is going to come in at like four to one. You know uh and they're just yep. constantly in the national championship so you can bet them right now and quadruple up some money if they win you know they're in it no guarantee they'll win against georgia obviously but they're in it is there anyone that you look at right now and you say when these odds come out i'm gonna see what they are to to bet on them
2: absolutely uh a and m is my first team that i've got to think about uh, this is a team i'm sorry the first off number one team number one team out of the recruiting cycle this year so far you know they have brought in an immense amount of talent this year coming off of the year where i mean honestly maybe a couple of games goes a different way this is a team that could have easily been nine and three i know you're snarling at me right now Scott, and that's fine That is mm-hmm. perfectly fine by me uh but texas a is definitely a team that i think you have to look out for going into next year uh another one for me that i think ultimately I, I just think it would be a really fun thing. And this is just because of how they finished the year, but Utah, I mean, that's a team for me that, like I said, I picked Utah to lose in the last game of the season. I was wrong for the third time in a row. And then and all three wins were just dominant performances. And when I look around the Pac-12, I go, okay, that's a conference that I believe is pretty wide open. So, I mean, and if Bo Nix hits the ground running, maybe Oregon becomes, you know, a, a, a power again, or remains one of the top two teams in the Pac-12 but I can't count out a team in Utah who bring back, brings back Cameron Rising, you know, played really well in that bowl game, even though they lost. Right. Like they, this is a team that essentially scored with the one of the best offenses in the country. I mean, pound for pound, just went score for score with them. You know, and, and when you look at it that way, I go, OK, they probably would have won that game if Cameron Rising doesn't get hurt. This is a team that definitely can compete for the Pac-12 title next year. And if they're competing for the Pac-12 title, then they've got to be at least right outside the playoff or a top four team, you know, bona fide, you know, it, it, the way that you're looking at it next year. So, uh, you know, and I also think that they play Florida to start the year off too. So if I'm not mistaken, they get a real good early test to start off next year uh, to, to really give, you know, give everybody an idea of what this team can really be uh, going into next year. Yeah, they do. They play at Florida. They go to Ben Hill Griffin. So if they're able to win that game first week of the season, I think that'll put everybody on notice. But if I can get that early, before they be before they're able to win that game, it'll be kind of like Oregon when they went into the, the shoe this year and beat Ohio State. It'll be like, OK, cool. This is a team that can actually compete for a national championship because they were able to go into a hostile environment and get a win. That's how I feel Utah can be when you look at their schedule going into next year. Uh, so I really like Utah as a possible, you know, as a, you know, a, a 50 to one kind of odds or 30, 30 to one kind of odds coming into the year that you just, you know, drop a little coin you know, here and there and, and, and might you know, turn out to be pretty good dividends if they make the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Nick, do you think there's any team that has a, um, that that is overrated at this point? I mean, it's hard to say that a team is overrated, uh, you know, in the off season before we kind of see the complete roster. Obviously there's tons left with recruiting. We still have a big signing day coming up. Uh, We still have uh, a lot of players in the transfer portal right now. So Rico's time is now, uh, you know, uh, what uh, is there someone that's overrated in the offseason already?
0: Well, so uh, you know, overrated I mean, outside might of Texas, well, USC, I mean, what's USC going to look like because they're making splashes <laughs> with the transfer portal, they're always on that, you know, uh, top 25 list or Head whatever. Coach, like too. To early. Right, exactly. And and you know, and I mentioned the odds get posted right after the national championship game. Also, and I think for years ESPN was the, the first to do it, but now every outlet it seems posts immediately the the way too early. And a lot of the ways that those are built, the the way too early lists, the sort of media created lists, not the, the odds makers, are okay, I'm gonna look at The playoff rankings or the AP top twenty-five, and say, okay, yeah, you know, Baylor was eleven and two last year. They seem like they're maybe a team on the rise. Yeah, maybe maybe Baylor's a top-five team next season. And and I just pick out Baylor. I've seen uh, uh, just a couple of people out there like, oh yeah, you know, they look like maybe a playoff team. Looked really impressive. I've I've gushed about Dave Aranda plenty, Um, but also, you know, I I think the way I see their projections shaping up the way we calculate it. And we're certainly not perfect. I think we are better at, you know, preseason, full season projections than especially this year, you know, game by game. I find it really unlikely that Baylor actually enters next season ranked in our, at least our top 20 and maybe even, you know, our top 25, top 30, because the way I calculate it, they're, They are going to be without double-digit starters. Starters are not everything. They can replace those guys with the transfer portal, of course. They do have a quarterback coming back. We do expect both coordinators to come back. Love their head coach. So, yeah, there are a lot of positive signs there. But I, I feel like Baylor, one, is just going to have a lot of holes to fill. But, two, doesn't quite have the recruiting profile that you would expect for a national championship team. Contender could they be maybe a, a team you know did we learn our lesson from Ohio or excuse me Iowa State last year might be might be that uh, type of of Baylor expectation coming into the year and at least if that's the case I will be on the opposite end I bought into Iowa State last year I don't expect I will be buying into Baylor uh, next season you know so there, there's a potential there uh, that they might be a little overrated. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see where Cincinnati falls. They are losing Without a ton, Ritter, Yeah. Uh, and not just Ritter, but four. Well, the whole secondary. The yeah, exactly. So are they going to be even a top 25 team in the preseason? I mean, they still might be one of the favorites in the American. But, you know, that, that roster is going to change as much as anybody out there. Um, you know, Oklahoma State had a a somewhat unexpectedly great season this year. They are up in our top ten uh, in in our current power rankings. I don't, you know, they they have to they're going to have to replace their leading rusher, leading receiver, but they do have an experienced quarterback coming back. They are going to have, uh, you know, some some pieces to replace defensively, certainly. But I mentioned offensive line being something I'm going to be paying pretty close attention to, and you know, looks like they're going to have three starters back that might be on the you know higher side next year so um it, it, i i i don't know michigan state i feel like might be a little overrated i love what michigan state did this year i love the di-
1: direction of the program Mel Tucker's perfect Come
0: on, I, you know, I I I'm a big fan of Mel Tucker. I mean, there were a lot of people when he uh, uh, when the the numbers were getting thrown around of what his contract extension were, who were like, "How in the world could you pay a guy, you know, who's had one good year?" And and I kind of you know I wasn't super vocal about it, but I was kind of like, you know what, I I might do it. <laughs> like I think Mel Tucker is is a rising star. I think uh, that he will be able to continue to. Uh, raised the talent level at Michigan State. I just think it might have been a case of this year they overachieved. Next year the expectations will be higher. Probably not going to have a top five Heisman, you know, finisher. Uh, and this year, you know, their record and, and our power rating at least don't quite mesh because they went 11 and two. Uh, we have them ranked 45th right now with a, a roster strength that's 47th and they'll probably you know edge up a little bit but they'll probably be a top 30 team not a top 10 team um, so that that might be one that I think okay you know we're, we're not going to be interested in Michigan State in the preseason unless you know they just go above and beyond in, in the transfer portal but real real quick just sort of the way I, I see things shaping out a little bit right now our current, top 10 in our power rankings. And these will be, uh, you know, finalized next week. I I do need to go back and put some late injury guys, late transfer guys back into the depth charts. Uh, Texas A&M, for example, is 30th in our power rankings right now. That's because they had, you know, one quarterback get injured, one quarterback transfer. And going into the bowl game, we were expecting a walk-on to start. They're much more you know, all season, they were a top 10 team. They also had half their defense opt out of the bowl. So, you know, i will go to go back, insert those guys back into the the mix, and they'll be, you know, probably a, a top 10 type team. But the way we currently have it right now, Georgia number one, Alabama number two, Ohio State three, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Clemson still hanging on at six, a little bit of a surprise there. Oklahoma State at seven, Notre Dame at eight, UCLA at nine, uh, which is kind of a weird one, and Michigan at 10. So, you know, not perfect, obviously. Uh, There's there certainly some arguments that could be made that that, that top 10 is completely wrong. Uh, but if I'm taking that and looking ahead to next year, I would expect Georgia's probably going to fall off just a little bit. I think there are going to be a lot of holes to fill defensively uh, and you know, a couple of key pieces on offense as well. And I just feel like Alabama and Ohio State are going to have more coming back that are probably going to put those to in maybe a code number one type situation. Like last year, I thought, okay, Alabama and Georgia maybe are, are going to be right there at, at number one. I would be really, really surprised actually, if Alabama is not our preseason number one, but if, if anybody else is going to be uh, it's going to be Ohio state and Ohio state might be very, very close to number two. So if Ohio state in those preseason odds is anything other than, you know, number one or number two, they're a team I'm probably going to invest pretty high in because they they very well could be the preseason number one team. Since uh, anything's going to fall off, Oklahoma I think is probably going to hold fairly steady at you know top ten, uh, fringe top five. But I actually think Clemson is probably going to be our our number four, and there might be a little bit of a gap there. I would expect Alabama and Ohio State kind of co number ones. Georgia probably number three, and Clemson number four. And then I think that number five spot, now that we know Gabriel is headed to Oklahoma, I, I think that kind of solidifies them as a, a legitimate top five type team. I think we're gonna be, and I, I tweeted this out a few days ago, annoyingly high on UCLA. They they don't deserve a top ten. I did ranking. like how you
1: said it like Ron Burgundy. You're like <laughs> UCLA at nine? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so
0: they're it. they're a team. <laughs> that, you know, last year we were all over Washington and that that ended up being embarrassingly bad. Uh, UCLA gives me, you know, they at least worry me that they could have that type of season. They're not a team you can really trust. But at the time when I tweeted it, I thought Dylan Gabriel was going there. He's a hundred rated quarterback. So we would see no drop off and we might be too high on Dorian Thompson Robinson, but he's a 100 rated quarterback. It sounds like he actually might come back. So if he does... You know, then then they're going to have the quarterback piece in play. They did lose a couple of receivers after I tweeted that that I didn't necessarily expect. Kyle Phillips and Greg Dulcich are both off to the NFL. Tight end Greg Dulcich. Uh, they might have Zach Charbonnet back at running back. He hasn't declared anything yet, but he's a 100 rated player. They're pretty solid on the offensive line. They've had one guy declare early. I believe one guy is out of eligibility and then Sean Ryan who's their 100-rated left tackle is draft eligible so so they might only have two offensive line starters coming back but they've been pretty active in the transfer portal so I, I would expect actually assuming the quarterback situation stays with a really highly rated guy i think UCLA is going to be in some ways like i said just annoyingly high in our preseason rankings like they they might be in everybody's preseason top 20 they're probably going to be solidly in our top 10 unless something, uh, you know, drastically changes. So I don't love that, but they're in the mix. Michigan is in the mix, even though they're going to lose a lot. I I was a little surprised that Xavier mentioned Utah. And as I was looking at it, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to deal with Utah right now. They're 11th. They do bring back Cam rising, which is a key piece of course, Right before we started recording, Tavion Thomas announced that he's coming back. That's big. Uh, you know They do have a 100-rated tight end and Brent Keithy. He's coming back. They are going to be losing at least two offensive linemen, but right now it looks like two of the guys coming back are all Pac-12 type guys. Got a lot to replace at linebacker, but they've already hit the transfer portal for one of those guys, Mohamed Diabete from uh, Florida. They always play great defense, it seems like. So they're they're kind of an intriguing team. I, I would be very surprised if they're top five or, or something like that, but they might hold fairly steady at 11, which would be pretty high for a Utah program, at least the way our numbers normally treat them. Uh, but a couple of other, and I'll be quicker here, teams that I think could be in the mix. If Ole Miss gets a transfer quarterback, I think they have a legitimate shot because they're top five in roster strength right now. Losing McRae big, and if they just uh, hand it over to you know highly rated guy coming out, but a guy who's going to be um, you know uh, a, a redshirt freshman, true sophomore type guy, and Luke uh, Altmeyer, I'm not sure that's going to quite do it as far as our our power ratings go at the quarterback position. So if they're able to get you know, a, a fairly big name or experienced guy at quarterback. I think they'll, especially with the Evans news. You know, he's a one hundred or or will be close to a one hundred rated guy. Uh, they're going to be solid top ten roster strength, maybe even top five. So I, I think Ole Miss could be in that mix, and I think, believe it or not, Wisconsin could could be in the mix. Uh, so those are a couple of teams that if if their odds come out where they're double digits, you know, in the in the Vegas power ratings or or odds uh they might be a team i pounce on and and just hope that they will be a you know preseason riser maybe add a uh you know transfer portal piece here or there to solidify some potential holes um i know we don't necessarily believe in the the quarterback position there for wisconsin but everywhere (laughs) else has been has been solid so uh the the way i kind of see things going I think those teams will be in the mix and Xavier brought up a great point with Texas A&M cuz I mentioned they will be a top 10 type team. They've already addressed the quarterback position. Got some rebuilding to do on defense and the offensive line which are, you know, things we can't necessarily overlook, but they're from a roster strength standpoint definitely going to be in the mix as well. So, kind of need to to do some updates like I said address their roster because uh, it's changed compared to what it looked like going into the, the bowl game. But, um, yeah, they, they definitely could be a preseason top 10 team as well, maybe even push into that top five conversation.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, all the stuff you said, I just – I can't believe Xavier didn't b- bust in with the is Graham Mertz gone, you know, uh, w- one of those because,
2: yes. I was waiting to. to but Wisconsin. as soon as he said, we don't believe in the quarterback play there, I said, okay. <laughs> He covered his bases. I, I try yeah, I to like anticipate.
0: It. I try to anticipate, you know, some <laughs> of the... And we've done this long enough. I, I kind of, I have an idea, maybe what, even if we don't in-depth uh, talk about these things ahead of time, uh, I, have mean, a, I have a little bit of an idea as to where where things could go. <laughs> right.
1: Tell
2: right. Me, exactly. Will he go into next year as a 100 rated player? Mertz, Mertz. No.
0: No. no, no, okay, no. okay. Cool. I was now,
2: just,
0: I so was, he, he currently is an 87 uh so going is is he a guy that
1: moved down from the eye test at all because i know some of those guys move up or down but i
0: haven't i haven't yet um i mean it's yeah it's a it's he would he would be (laughs) in consideration for that uh but just adjusting his experience to to make him a, a junior not a sophomore Um, would bump him from an 87 to my computers, excuse me, uh, being real slow
1: here. Um, And look, you know, look, a guy like Mertz, there's a 90. Yeah. There's every guy is not complete at this position at this time in their life. Right. So uh, there are many, many players that take a giant step from 80. look at Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow went from a, you know, all right. He's a starter to a, the best quarterback in the nation by a long shot. And he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And that was over a summer, you know? I know what you're he trying to do, that, Scott. That, that, well, look, I'm just saying that, <laughs> you know, I know Merz, what you're trying to do. I'm not sitting here saying that Merckx is going to get that much better, but I'm saying that it's not out of the realm of possibility that he improves so much that he is now a good player instead of a negative for that offense. Cause right now I would have to say, and I think Xavier, you'd agree with me that He's he is an absolute negative for that. Yeah. offense. So, and with so many kids in the transfer portal, I can't believe that Wisconsin couldn't get another one better than him.
0: I mean, so, so, he, so actually the, the deeper I look at it, I might, I maybe should have not mentioned Wisconsin. The defense could lose
1: a ton. They just had a couple realized. guys declare over the last couple days, right? Yeah.
0: So, they, they did lose Leo Chanel. Uh, yeah. Scott Nelson, Matt uh, Hennigson are, are both gone. All those guys did have eligibility if they wanted to choose it. And then they've got – yeah, I mean, it, it, maybe I shouldn't have – they might just be a top 15, top 20 type team, but maybe the favorite in the West. And and so I do look at that a little bit. You know, That's right. If they've got a fairly easy path to the conference championship game – you know, in the right scenario, you sure. have one loss going in, you knock off Ohio State, big win that could get you in the playoff. So I, I would consider that, but uh maybe maybe I got ahead of myself a little bit there. But they they are, you know, 14 the path is
1: there, right maybe not the roster, but you can suggest for a lot of big ten, big twelve. Uh, you
2: know, That's fair. Teams. I'm so. just, I'm just slowly waiting to give Graham Mertz the Shea Patterson award. So, you know, this is, oh. you know, it's in my back pocket here. Oh, you know, we, we had, this, we had, we had CFB winning edge. Transfer, have go the, somewhere
1: the, else, and not even start. That's what i have, have the vaunted
2: Shea Patterson award. Shea Patterson, I think, <laughs> was the first quarterback that Nick docked after a season, and so he will always be <laughs> upon the, the pantheons of not greatness <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> not as, of Shea oh, Patterson man. award, yeah.
1: Ah, uh, that's funny. That's funny stuff. All right, I think that's it. Are we ready to to talk about the natty now? Let's talk about is, is the it. Time Eddie. to go. All right, let's go get it. So, uh, look, uh, national championship time. It's on Monday. We are locked in, ready to go. Uh, I know who Xavier is rooting for. Um, I, I I know that. I know Nick is a uh, you know, pretty much a neutral as far as fandom oh, well, goes.
0: We, we already alluded to that. I definitely have a rooting interest in. And right. this one just based on some things that yeah. happened a year yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But Although I do have that out. Sure.
0: diploma hanging on the wall, so now, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm you not know,
1: the, I'm not without
0: bias on this
1: one. This I thing. like that. So I mean, I I, th- <laughs> I think that's good. So, uh, but Georgia is a three-point favorite here. the The over/under is 52 and a half. So, um, uh, obviously, the uh, owner and proprietor, CFP winning edge, is going to kick us off here. So. Nick, who wins and why, and how much should I bet on it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so un- unfortunately, one our as we've talked about before, our, our projections against the spread this year have been pretty dreadful. I mean, we had three straight winning seasons. We've done this for four years. Had three straight winning seasons. 2020 was our best season. We are 54% for the entire year. We discovered this thing where all three of our projection models agree, man, that was even better, you know, 57%. Uh, had coming in sky high confidence this year and it just all crashed <laughs> and burned uh, mm-hmm. by far our worst projections against the spread for the full season. All three agree was even worse. We gave back everything that, you know, all the good work we'd done the last three years. Uh, I've been, you know, sitting down constructing my Tim Tebow promise speech, uh, you <laughs> know, how we're going to get things fixed here. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I give that preamble because this, you know, this game does show an all three agree. Uh, and it happens to be the same all three agree that, it, you know, did win one of our few bowl game winners uh, or, or shouldn't say bowl game, but uh, back to the SEC championship game, we were on Alabama to cover. At least we, we did have Georgia to, to uh, you know, to win. And we do still have Georgia as a, a slight, very, very slight favorite, in this game, but it is basically a quarter of a point. Uh, So our final score projection is, you know, the the total 52 and a half when we posted it officially, Uh, we have it going just barely over final score, 27, 26, do have Georgia winning, do have Alabama covering, but you know, for for the first time in a while, I actually have had some time. That's one of the benefits of, of, you know, having, uh bowl season or, or specifically here in the championship game, there's more time to go back and dig in than I usually get on a normal game week. So instead of just saying, Hey, yeah, this is number two in roster strength versus number one in roster strength, man, they're basically evenly matched. Uh, Just like the numbers say, which I, I sometimes can do, you know, I did get to dig in a little bit, did get to rewatch the SEC championship game. And I remember, you know, after I watched it the first time, I came away feeling like, okay, man, Bama really did kind of just just sort of bend the game to its will, uh, so to speak. And and I felt like that was a, you know, Alabama uh, controlled the game, and I felt like it was a clear victory. Like, okay, yeah, boom. they, uh, Bama was just the better team. Maybe Bama is the better team, and maybe, you know, all this Georgia being – uh, number one defense we've ever seen, or at least in the last decade or whatever. Uh, maybe that was wrong. Uh, yeah. But I went back and rewatched it. And actually, you know, it was uh, it was a little bit closer. One, I guess I had forgotten. Georgia jumped out to a 10-0 lead, right? I mean, they went, had a, had a few drives. Alabama couldn't really get much going in the first quarter. And Georgia was up 10-0. Uh, right before halftime, Alabama or, or well what early in the second quarter they got the big play to Jameson Williams that kind of was like a, oh okay all right this is you know George's not going to going to walk through here but uh, late in the second quarter you know Alabama had had uh, the lead had gone back and forth a little bit but less than 30 seconds Alabama scores goes up 24-17 and then Bama gets the ball to start the second half and and sometimes you hear things on the uh, you know, on the broadcast or whatever, talk about the middle eight. And there are some analytically minded folks out there who anytime that comes up kind of scoff or laugh or, or say, Oh, you know, why is this, why do people talk about this? And in, in some sense, I, I kind of understand that, but in the other sense, it is uh, kind of a, a coaching thing, obviously, you know, coaches talk about winning the middle eight. I mean, there's articles you could, google and find uh of belichick you know talking about winning the middle eight and kind of his philosophy on on it but it is a way for coaches you know you can't really control a lot but if you can you know if if you know you're going to get the ball to start the second half and if you're able to control the clock to where you either you know score or don't give your opponent enough time to score you can kind of and momentum is a word that that you know, again, some people scoff and and whatever. but it's it's kind of the one situation in a game where I feel like you really can manipulate uh, you know possessions, whether a team gets another possession or not, um, where you can kind of manipulate in some sense momentum, especially if you are able to to capitalize on it. So Alabama scores thirty seconds left in the second quarter. They go up a touchdown. And then they score on the first drive of, of the third quarter. So they win that middle eight, 14 to nothing. And from there, it really kind of you know flipped the game on its head. Georgia and, and Stetson Bennett at quarterback has kind of at times had to uh, you know, he 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 has on a few high profile occasions and the pick six in the second half against Alabama in this championship game being one of those kind of presses a little bit, kind of does something uh, where, you know, he's under pressure or, or makes a, you know, makes a mistake has, has kind of a brain fart or or what have you, but will occasionally make a mistake like that. Got that in the second half against Alabama, they capitalize. And at that point, that's when like, okay, Alabama is is completely in control. And for me that, you know, going back on, on the second viewing really did start, at the, the tail end of that second half, and then they just, you know, boom. Then, blink of an eye, almost it was thirty-eight seventeen. Georgia gets another, you know, touchdown late, and the final score is is seventeen points, pretty pretty big. But uh, it it, it kind of got away from Georgia, maybe a lot quicker than expected. And and in some ways, especially if you, you look back at that first quarter, it was a little bit tighter uh, than that final score would indicate. But, uh, you know, looking at both semifinals after that, played out in some ways similarly, but in some ways complete opposite. You know, both teams controlled from the opening kick. Both, you know, Alabama and Georgia scored on their opening possession. Alabama just sort of slowly suffocated Cincinnati to death. Uh, It it seemed like, you know, Cincinnati had a chance to go and, and answer touchdown for touchdown. They had to settle for a field goal. And then at that point, you're like, okay, yeah, this 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 is what it's going to be. Alabama leaned on its running game. First time we've seen that in a little bit because Brian Robinson now fully healthy, and also it seemed like maybe Alabama was kind of keeping things a little close to the vest. Didn't want to show you know too much new. Kind of wanted to just run the clock out, run the ball, and and get you know win the game and and move on. And then they were just you know the the pass rush as usual. Will Anderson, I think best player in college football. You know, they were, they were just kind of able to, to suffocate Cincinnati and just really couldn't get them back in Georgia flipped it a little bit. I thought they were, you know, not that they were doing things completely different against Michigan than they were other times, but it seemed like they went out and made a conscious effort to really, you know, do a lot of different formations, show some interesting kind of personnel groups in, in different formations. Like I tweeted out something, uh, because they had a, a you know five wide quads <laughs> uh, formation with thirteen personnel, you're just like, okay, that's that's not something everybody can do, you know, and, and and that's that's unique. And we think sometimes you know if you're just watching Georgia or this year, and in some cases when a team you know is one of the best teams in the country and they play a lot of blowout games, and Georgia twelve of its wins are by seventeen points or more, you know, sometimes you don't actually watch those games as closely. As others that are a little closer, you know, and, and so sometimes I'm, I, I will miss or if I don't have time to go back and, and look at things like, you know, personnel groups and formations and things like that. Sometimes you miss it. Maybe maybe they've been doing that all year, but also maybe they were saying, hey, Alabama. Yeah, we're you know, we're going to play with a little more tempo here. We're going to do some formations that you might normally see going to do some personnel groups you might normally see and do some. Formations out of personnel, you know, combinations you don't normally see. So it seemed like where Alabama kind of wanted to keep things simple, relatively, not show too much. Georgia said, "Okay, we want to we want to give Alabama more to think about. And then, you know, both both uh, strategies worked. Georgia scored on his first five possessions. And really, that game was was never in doubt. It wasn't just sort of a slow, uh, you know, boa constrictor type thing like like. Alabama did to Cincinnati. It was a, you know, boom. Hey, this got out of hand. You know, boy, that, es- that escalated quickly, right? It, it was sort of that that situation, and then they were not a to- notch, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, but but you know, Georgia has a- and showed that they could do some interesting things, and they have some unique playmakers. I mean, Brock Bowers is definitely one of them. I mean, he's a wide receiver playing the tight end position, a- incredible talent, and you know uh uh, james cook kind of in in some ways wide receiver playing the running back position so that's one of the reasons why they can do these different uh formations and get a guy maybe isolated in a one-on-one matchup that they can take advantage of um alabama in some way or excuse me georgia in some ways has better depth than Alabama. I, I would not necessarily expect that in most years, but Alabama's dealt with some injuries at two kind of key spots, the offensive line and in the secondary, in the defensive backfield. That, I think, will come into play because if Georgia is able to, you know, formation and, and you know, do personnel things to get some of those matchups, one, Alabama is a little You know, the the depth isn't quite there at corner specifically, Uh, definitely dealing with some injuries. Josh Job hasn't played since what the SEC championship game. And then uh, Armour Davis has been banged up. He did play in the the semifinal, and I I think he will play, but has a hip injury and might not be, you know, 100 percent. But also, you guys know I love an, an anonymous quote, and there have been a couple of those where uh, one, Bruce Feldman at The Athletic, and uh, Audre, uh, uh, uh Rittenberg at, at uh, ESPN did that type of thing, talking to SEC coaches and, and things like that. And both of those pieces, different anonymous coaches said, you know, hey, this Alabama secondary is just not quite as good as we're used to. Uh, Georgia has that a little bit. Its safeties are you know, arguably its weak spot, but flipping you know, on the, the other side, Alabama's lacking a little bit of depth at, at receiver now, and certainly they've got five stars. I mean, we saw Jakori Brooks uh, break out a little bit. JoJo Earl's got a lot of talent. Uh, they've got obviously really, really highly rated guys. They've also got some pieces that they can move around, like a Jaleel Billingsley, who hasn't been as big a part of the offense as we expected coming into the year, or Cameron Latu, who was a much bigger part than we expected. But Slade Bolden's kind of that, you know, yeah. not going to jump off the, the uh, film, but can do just enough, caught the opening touchdown, uh, you know, decent route runner, that, that type of thing. So maybe they can stress the safeties, especially if, and obviously I, I always like to, to ramble on a little bit before I get to my point, if Georgia can't <laughs> pressure the quarterback. And, and that was the big thing, in that SEC championship game, I believe they were credited with eight hurries, but had zero sacks. And Bryce Young, Heisman Trophy winner, arguably best you know offensive player in college football, is incredibly cool under pressure. Doesn't only five picks the weird. whole year? Absolutely, and you know he he will occasionally get uh, a, a pass batted down. Will occasionally look uncomfortable, make a bad throw, but he's also, you know, also is is just very cool and calm, can just kind of elude pressure a little bit, can stand in there, make a throw a little bit later than most. Georgia is going to have to switch some things up. They were not quite able to. It seemed like in that SEC championship game, more often than not, they were trying to just say, hey, we're going to try to rush for, and, you know, our guys against your guys and, and try to try to win those individual matchups. And they just weren't able to do it, weren't able to get a whole lot of pressure. I'm sure and other people have have had, you know, success pressuring Alabama, Auburn specifically, uh, is one that came up in, in those uh, two articles where they were able to get more pressure from the outside. It seemed like Georgia was, you know, focusing its pressure uh, from the middle or, or, you know, just from that that front four where maybe, you know, maybe they're going to switch things up a little bit, get a little bit more edge pressure, get a little bit more, uh, you know, you know, blitz looks coming in, maybe get safeties involved, what, what have you. But the the key, two keys, Georgia is going to have to pressure Bryce Young better than it did in that game. And on the other side, the Georgia offensive line is going to have to protect Stetson Bennett better than it did in that game. Cause Will Anderson is just an absolute freak and you know, he's not the only one Uh Fiderian Mathis is, is uh, incredibly productive. They've gotten uh, you know, good uh, pressure, especially the last couple of weeks from Dallas Turner, true freshman. Uh, and the depth, even on the Alabama defense, even, you know, in that uh, front seven, maybe isn't quite what it was in the past. But those guys are certainly able uh to to put pressure on just about any quarterback, but did have success against Georgia. And you know, Stetson Bennett can, you know, he he'll stand in there and, and make a tough throw. Uh, but he also is prone to making a mistake from time to time. And so that Georgia offensive line, which has been very, very good all year. I mean, ranks number two in our O-line performance ratings this season compared to Alabama, which ranks 45th after a most recent update, you know, that, that Georgia offensive line is going to have to keep Bennett, you know, standing upright, able to go through his progression. Uh, and, and when he scrambles, you know, doesn't need to be a desperation type scramble needs to just be a, let his athleticism take over. Cause that has been a, a, a plus in his game. I've said before, you know, oh, or I've, I've questioned, is Stetson Bennett the the right quarterback here? Can he win a national championship for Georgia? And pretty much until going back and, and watching the first half of that SEC championship game, because he actually played pretty well in that game in, in the first half. Yeah, really he had well three touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, but just had a couple of, you know, rough mistakes. And then against Michigan, man, he was good he he was good so i i think i might finally maybe it's better late than never finally think okay yes i get it the georgia coaching staff trusts him and he can he can play a little bit you know and and so maybe he can if he's got enough time to operate and if you know georgia's able to to have the success that they found against michigan utilizing formations utilizing personnel groups because if you can use the same personnel group and do hundred different formations, that's tough. I mean, that, that's tough on a defense. It's tough to get lined up. It's tough to, you know, make sure you've got your right personnel on the field. George Pickens is a little bit of a wild card. He had a big play in that SEC championship game really didn't see anything else from him since, but it sounds like he's, you know, every day getting healthier and healthier. Maybe we finally see, you know, close to 100% George Pickens. So I'm, I'm I, I I don't necessarily argue with the projections. We did happen to be, you know, right at least that Alabama would cover the last time. Uh, Alabama does have an outright talent edge our stats only model which takes into account past years not just this year uh, does have Alabama as a slight favorite. Both of those within 3 points, but Alabama's favorite in those two models. In the official projection It's neck and neck. I mean, literally, you know, 0.27 points in our projections. I don't necessarily argue with that. I think there certainly is every possibility that Nick Saban, his coaching staff, Bryce Young, his just pure talent, uh, the pass rush that Alabama has, that might win out. Alabama might win this game, certainly. But having a little bit more time to dig in Read a little bit more, watch a little bit more. The fact that the uh, they uh, ESPN had the All 22 was was great for the playoff games. Love that. Um, you know, actually was able to wrap my hand, uh, my head a little bit more around what's going on on the field, and I'm starting to tuck myself into Georgia winning this game, and you know, being rightly favored by a field goal, or maybe even winning by a touchdown or more. I'm starting to talk myself into that a little bit, but there are obviously some some major, major uh, things that Georgia has to do, put pressure on Bryce Young and protect Stetson Bennett. And, you know, it, it's really, really difficult to uh, beat a Nick Saban coach team and a team that he's very, very familiar with, has gone up against Georgia before, knows the personnel incredibly well. Knows Kirby Smart was his right hand man for a decade, you know, so nothing's going to be a surprise, even though Georgia seemed like, you know, wanted to give Alabama a little bit more to think about in the semifinal. Alabama's going to be prepared. So I, I, it's a little bit of a cop out that I'm just going to say, you know, the projections say it's a toss up. I think it's a toss up. Both teams could win. Both teams could win by double digits, you know, just depending on how it plays out. Uh, but this is at least as, as long as we've been doing this, the most evenly matched championship game that we've seen. And there's a, you know, an added element to it that, that this uh, it's a rematch. And it's always, it's difficult to beat the same team twice. Did see some numbers recently uh, that since 2007, Brian from on football outsiders did this, put this together. There've been 54 FBS rematches in the same season. The same team won 29 of those. So 53.7% uh however the team that is favored by oddsmakers won the the rematch 79.6% so that would be georgia of course in this one so that's that's kind of an interesting thing but yeah i mean it, there there's a lot of outside factors you could look at this game from so many different angles i'm glad i got a little bit of of time and was able to dig into it a little bit more i'm even more excited to watch it than i was uh you know this morning than i was last week than I was watching the semifinal games. I, I think this is about you know the best possible way that we could uh, ask to end the season with the two best teams, with the two most talented teams. Yeah, it probably didn't surprise a whole lot of folks, but uh, hopefully it'll pay off and, and be a great game because, yeah, these are, these are uh, definitely, I think, in my opinion and, and in our projections as well, the two best teams in the country, and, and hopefully they pay us off with a great championship game.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously hoping for a good game too. I was, uh, you know, uh, after hearing Nick talk, I- I'm a little less surprised that Georgia was favored. And I know Georgia was dominant the whole year and they lost the one game. Right. But it was to this team that they're playing here and they didn't just lose. They lost going away. I know it was closer than the final score. Like Nick said, Xavier, but, um, for me, I was just surprised that Georgia would be favored. Not, not that, even if Georgia wins, I won't be surprised. Even if they win going away, I won't be shocked that you know the defense will show up, they will force turnovers and they will protect Stetson Bennett if they win. Um, I understand that. I just I am surprised that it was Georgia favored here. So um we know you're pulling for Georgia. Do you think they win this game? Uh yeah, I know you the last time you you said the uh, you know, it's tough to beat a team twice in a season. You were pulling for Oregon over Utah, and that didn't work out. So, um, but but you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to be shocked either way. So, how do you see this game playing out?
2: Yeah, you know, last time in the SEC championship game, I said what Alabama needed to do to beat Georgia, Bryce Young had to do his best Joe Burrow impression and, and move amongst the pocket. Um, and Alabama had a really good scheme going into that game. You know, they, you know, uh, like Nick, I've watched that game I think four times now, and, and I come away with thinking the same thing. Alabama did. Alabama hit on all of their big plays. Every single one of them, they hit on. You know, I don't think I think Alabama had two drives in that game in particular where they went the length of the field and they didn't have a play that was over 20 yards. Um, they hit on their big plays, and I, and I think that that's what's gonna what Alabama's gonna have to do in this game too. You know, I think they're gonna have to if they're gonna win this game, they're gonna have to hit on big plays because what the thing about this Georgia defense is is the longer you try to drive against them, the more stout they get right it's it's really difficult and Michigan learned that on you know in, in the semifinal game you know Michigan was a very methodical offense and we talked about this before I said you know them trying to go 13 you know 10 12 play drives against this Georgia defense is going to isn't going to work because eventually you're going to have a negative play you're going to you know a, a drop pass you know uh a Blake Corum fumble on a drive that was moving forward you know a, a pick in the end zone from from uh from Kay McNamara early, you know, early in that second half as well. Obviously, you know, trying to go, you know, 60, 75 yards without having a play over 20 is going to be really difficult against the Georgia defense. And what I watched Alabama do is, is they essentially said, our skilled players are better than your defensive backs. They, on three of their four touchdowns that Bryce had, they blocked with six plus players on an line of scrimmage, whether they were blocking with five down linemen in the tight end, uh, they were blocking with five down linemen a tight end, and they were also chipping with a with a back. They were making they were essentially running two-man routes for most for, for, for most the majority of those big plays. And the only reason why I think in this game it'll be different is because one, no John Mechie. And two, I think Georgia learned its lesson a little bit. Uh, more important in the game against Michigan. You saw Georgia play a little bit better defensively on the back end. Obviously, Darian Kendrick had two picks, and a lot of that was because. Their DBs were just bailing. They were just getting out of there. They weren't even attempting to play man coverage at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and on the plays in which they did, they did get beat a couple of times. You know, obviously, you had a couple of big plays from Michigan down the sideline, uh, you know, early in that game that really kind of, you know, that looked indicative of what Alabama was able to do. And, and Kirby Smart made adjustments. He, you know, he was doing a lot of zone blitzes. We don't really see that from Kirby. Kirby is a man blitz kind of guy. He likes to have his corners up in your face and, and shutting you down. You know, I think Kirby has learned and you even saw to an extent in the second half of the SEC championship game, Kirby started to download a little bit. He said, you know what? I can't just rush with four. I can't just rush with four because I'm running four against six. I'm running four against seven and this isn't working. I've got to be able to add an extra guy. And there was a little bit more pressure in that second half. The offense from Alabama wasn't nearly as good. Obviously, they put up 27 points in the first half. They put up, you know, uh, I think it was. They put up 10 points in the second half. If I'm not mistaken, obviously the pick six as well. So the, the defense was a little bit better in the second half. And I think that was due to the, some of the adjustments that Kirby made. One of the major things going into this game that I looked at when I looked at both semifinal games is Alabama just without Mechie. I'm just not so sure Bryce and that company is as explosive as they're going to be able to be, you know, you name Jaleel Billingsley. I, I don't think that they're comfortable with him right now. I don't think Bryce is comfortable. And I think, Bryce Young still has a tendency to be a, to be, you know, a first year starter. He likes his number one guy. And if he's not there, you know, uh, Cincinnati did a really, really good job of getting them in situations where he was having to find a second and third guy. Uh, And I think that if you look at George's perspective, if he's having to check off his one and two, there's a guy in the backfield by that point. And I think that, you know, what the, the one problem Cincinnati did have is they couldn't stop the run. If Cincinnati had, even a, a whisper of a run defense in that game that's a completely different game. You know, it, it, it you it's know. Bryce it,
1: Young wasn't on. He only had, what, 184 yards, 187 yeah. yards, something like that.
2: Exactly. And I think that was due in large part to that, the way that Cincinnati played them because you only are really fearing one receiver now. They would put a safety over the top, man-on-man man with a Ahmad Garner or, or Corey Bryant, or excuse me, Kobe Bryant on uh, on Jamison Williams. And they said, hey, Ja'Cory Brooks, hey, Slade Bolden, you beat the rest of them, like, You know, and outside of that one touchdown pass to Ja'Cory Brooks, they really couldn't do it consistently all game. And I think if you're Georgia, you're going to look at the same type of situation. You're going to think to yourself, if we can stop them from running the football on first down, we're going to put them right in the position that we want them to be. Now, then after that, the DBs just have to make the plays. The DBs just have to be in the right positions. They cannot consistently get burned by the same people over and over again. But you're really, I think in this game, you're going to see two things. You're going to see Georgia's defensive backs learn their lesson from last time. And I think you'll see Stetson Bennett learn his lesson. Stetson Bennett said something, I think three days ago. He said, listen, I just need to play my game. I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to try to do anything extra. I'm going to be Stetson Bennett. And I think that's very indicative of a guy who this is his third go-round against Alabama. He played him in Tuscaloosa. He played him in the SEC Championship game this year. This is a guy who has so much film now that he's probably looking at like, okay, I know exactly what not to do at this point. You know, he's thrown five picks in two games against these guys. He's had really good first halves, to Nick's credit. He's had really good first halves against Alabama both times. And they had really bad second halves. And I think for him, if he can just put a, a, a complete game, you know, four quarters of like what he did against Michigan, I think that'll be huge. Another thing I saw from Georgia in the Michigan game, they decided to block Aiden Hutchinson one-on-one at times. And I think that they, I think they a little bit dominant. Yeah, Sawyer had a, li- a really good game. I think you see them look to try and, uh, and replicate that going into this week. I didn't even hear David Ajabo's name in the Michigan game. Like, I, I, he was a lost cause in that ball game, And that's because they did a better job of making sure that they had a hat on a hat and in situations where they needed to get a little extra help, Kenny McIntosh was chipping, Zemir White was chipping, you know. And, and I think one of the matchups I'm looking forward to the most, if you're a Georgia fan, it's going to be James Cook against those Alabama linebackers. You saw it on. You saw it with Michigan. They would stretch James Cook out. They would force the linebacker over the top. And I'm going to be honest with you. Whether it's Henry Toto or Christian Harris, neither one of them can cover him man on man. They just can't. James Cook is probably the best running back, as far the best receiving running back in this game. Period. And they can't cover him one on one. And I think you'll see that same situation that what Nick said. You'll see them go uh, a lot of the times in the same formation. And different, you know, or same personnel, different formations. They trust themselves to be three tight ends out there with Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, and Fitzpatrick, and they will spread them out. Darnell Washington lined up in the slot in the Michigan game. Why? Like this is like this is something I haven't even seen from Ty Munkin all year. And I think lastly, what you saw from Georgia in that ball game is they said to themselves, "We're not going to force Stetson to be a pocket passing quarterback." Yes, he had some really good throws. Obviously, the two—the t- the two to James Cook—one leading to a touchdown, one was another bomb. But what they—a lot—but what was killing Michigan and what made Aiden Hutchinson look so pedestrian? He was tired. They were just getting the ball out to to their athletes immediately. They were throwing them to the edge, having Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers already out there blocking and saying, "Hey, look, Aiden, we're going to throw it to your side, and we're going to make you run upfield and make those fifteen-yard tackles." And when your linebackers are getting killed because they're having to face, you know. Uh, our left tackle and our left guard. And, and I think you're going to see a lot of that from Alabama. So from Alabama, you're going to have to have your hands up in the air. You're going to have to have a lot of tip balls. That's going to be something that Stetson Bennett has not fixed in his game and something that Alabama is really, really good at. They teach their defensive linemen. They drill them on getting their hands up when the ball's in the air, and they're excellent at it. I mean, almost too good, to, to be perfectly honest with you. And I'm really excited. To, I'm, to, I'm really intrigued to see Alabama's secondary. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Kool-Aid McKinstry and those guys looked awful. But Alabama's front four was able to get to Desmond Ritter. Heck, the first drive, Cincinnati's driving down, we all saw it. Alec Pierce was wide open in the end zone. Henry Toto gets his hands in the air, hits the ball down, Cincinnati has to settle for three. That was a constant theme on third downs was that Desmond Ritter just couldn't get the ball to his open receivers because there was so much pressure on him. Because those corners and those safeties just aren't as good as they have been. You know. uh, Brian Birch is back for them, which was huge in that ball game. He looked like he looked the freshest and the best he's looked all year. Um, and Malachi Moore, another one, looked really, really good. But corner, but but we'll have to see how healthy they are at the cornerback position because if they are running with guys like Cooley McKinstry and company, it's gonna be a long afternoon because you see. So that's a bit it is not afraid to throw a deep ball to Jermaine Burton on a random third down or second down at the 50 yard line. We're not they're not afraid to take those shots. Heck, they weren't afraid to take those shots in the against the number one guys in the SEC championship game. Uh, So I think in this game, it's going to really come down to whether or not Alabama can run the football, because I'll be honest with you, without. Mechie, I don't think Bryce Young trusts the rest of those guys to make consistent plays. He might try, you know, a a deep ball to Jacore Brooks every once in a while, you know, uh, an important third down, maybe hit Slade Bolden every once in a while, but that's going to be Jamison Williams. Like he's going to look for Jamison Williams as much as he possibly can. And if Jamison Williams has another game like he did against Cincinnati, that plays right into Georgia's hands because Brian Robinson, what what did did Alabama run for in the SEC Championship game? If you take away Bryce Young's, uh, Bryce Young's. Uh, total yards i think b rob ran for like 37 yards that's not going to cut it so if they can find a way to run the football against that georgia defense then we're going to have a we're going to have the same thing happen again Alabama's going to run away with this ball game if georgia's front four can come to play and more importantly the guys who were embarrassed last time jordan davis talking to you because you had all the twitter clips of you being fatigued and getting pancaked out here you've got to play better right like these are the guys nolan smith this week talking about i just want to win i've never won a championship at any level of football in my life I just want to win a championship at this point.
1: Got to go, go ahead. get it.
2: Three sacks will help that out, you know? So, like, <laughs> you know, if Georgia's defense actually plays like they have all year, there's nothing that really Bama can do, in my opinion, that would help them win this ballgame. Because I think that so far this year, Alabama has been such an offensive heavy team in how they've leaned. Their defense has been good at times, and they were really good in the second half of the SEC championship game. But let's be honest with ourselves. Alabama's defense hasn't been great. In my opinion, for a full game all year, I'll I'll, I'll call it right now. We're
1: pretty good against Georgia last time.
2: Hey, in the second yeah, half. I, like,
1: yeah. I Well, I I hit up Nick last night, and, and I was mm. asking him for some stats for this game, and, and I'm mm. I'm taking Bama in this game, so um, you know, I'll just let you know where I stand here. But the the stat that I asked him for specifically was pressures in the SEC title game, right? Yep. And he broke it down for me: nineteen pressures. Versus Georgia, three sacks. Um, but in non-Alabama games, uh, they allowed the full season fifty-seven pressures total. Georgia allowed in non-Bama games thirty-eight pressures. So they had a third of their pressures on the season yeah. uh, against Georgia. And um, the one game that Bama lost against Texas A&M, no pressures, no sacks. I don't know if they didn't have pressures. I'm sure they did, but they didn't get to the quarterback one time and they yeah. lost that game. So to me and- that is the X factor. Cuz I I do I think Bama mm-hmm. Bama's going to struggle um but I do think they'll score on anybody. You know, I, I they're not what they were last year they're not what they were year before, but I think they'll score on anyone and I think they proved that in the SEC title game. So I'm not worried about that offense. I'm I the, to me the thing for Georgia is keeping Bennett clean cuz he's looked good. You keep him upright, he'll he'll throw touchdowns. He's good. You know, like Nick said Kid can play a little, right? So uh, that that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing to me is you keep Stetson Bennett upright, you win the game. If he gets getting crushed all game, yeah. he's going to make a bad pass eventually, and that's going to be the whole thing. And so.
2: what I want people to understand, and and I don't know if Nick, if you caught this in the SEC championship game, but for some reason Georgia was insistent on guard on blocking Will Anderson with with motioning tight ends the entire game. There was this. There was this love affair. And if you can go back and watch Will Anderson when he was really dominating in that matchup, he was going one-on-one with Darnett Washington. I understand mm-hmm. that Darnell Washington was an offensive tackle at one point in high school, but that's not his job.
1: Yeah, but uh, actual tackles can't handle Will Anderson. Oh, I, and, and, and I, and what I he's
2: Right. But, but also what you're doing when you do that is you're not allowing him, Darnett Washington in particular, To then be a double team, or to chip, or to do any of that kind of action, because what you're doing is you're giving Will Anderson a free run at the quarterback, and then it's like Darnell Washington has to meet him three yards in front of his quarterback. That's not going to work. Like you're having a freight train and and, and the stop sign, and guess what's going to happen? The freight train's going to run over the stop sign. And and so, like (laughs) when when you're when you're doing that consistently, especially when Will Anderson was really getting to be dominant in that game, and the rest of the offense and the rest of the defensive line was getting home. Georgia was motioning over Brock Bowers to try to chip, and Kenny McIntosh was – there was a play that Kenny McIntosh went one-on-one with Will Anderson. What are we doing? Like that, like these are things that I think Georgia was trying to get a little bit too cute in that game. They were trying to give Will a little bit too many, you know, smoke and mirrors instead of saying to themselves, hey, Jamari Sawyer, you're a good player. You were a five-star coming out. We trust you a little bit more than you know what we what we've shown in the past. Let's let you block a couple of times and see what happens, you know. And that and that those kind this of dominated
1: situations, Aiden Hutchinson. So. Yeah, and I
2: think those. Well, kind of Sawyer also
0: wasn't full strength in that game. He, he very was coming off an injury, so maybe that mm-hmm. had a little bit of something to do with it. He, I mean, looked pretty good as you guys said against Michigan. Uh, is back fully healthy, so you would expect, you know. That that mm-hmm. could certainly be something that that uh, will be able to to take advantage of a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, and so I think where you look at Georgia's offense, they've got to make they've got to win their mismatches. They just they have a clear mismatch between running back and linebackers. I'll be honest with you, this is probably one of the weakest linebacking cores that Alabama has had in my history, in my lifetime. I, I'm gonna call I'm gonna call it what it is. Oh, absolutely, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Between Christian Harris is a like first round draft pick. Harry Toto maybe a day three guy. Just call
0: it what we, it is. Could, are we considering Will Anderson a linebacker? He's a linebacker in no. our team profile.
2: No. He's, no, he's, right. is, no. Again, but. Absolutely. But is, in mean, my opinion. Yeah, okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. That's, that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. Because when I look at the two guys that they trot out there, this is probably the least, first of, first and foremost, physically imposing, probably the least physically imposing imposing linebackers that I've seen in a while. They're, it's not a C.J. Mosley. It's not a Dylan Moses. It's not even a Mack Wilson. That those kind of freaks of nature is what I mean. Well, they've, by they've it, right?
0: gotten they've gotten smaller faster. Yeah,
2: you know, and, and so In the when last I, so few years, yeah, right. And, and that's what I mean from that. You know, I'm not saying that Christian Harris and, and Henry Toto aren't good players, but I've watched C.J. Mosley crack my running back and then drop back and guard tight ends, and that's where I'm like, okay, they don't have those freaks at linebacker right now. So, how about our offensive line? You find a way to get to the second level. And you hit the guys who are sitting there at 5'10", 5'11". I think they he list he, lifts Henry Toto at six foot. That's fair. That's generous, perfectly honest with you. Um, you know. And, and you find a way to uh, get to those guys. Because even Cincinnati found a way to get to that second level. They really did. Alabama was forced in that second half to start blitzing those guys to make them more of an impact players. Because in the first half, for the most part, Cincinnati was able to get to the second level. And they were able to make – they were able to sustain drives. They were not able to finish them. But they were able to get to the 40 and the 50 in the opposite side.
1: The, it's funny because they lost by three touchdowns, but I do exactly. think that C- Cincinnati's performance in that game I Wasn't think helps the G five. Yeah, yes, I, I, I think it helps the G five because that was the whole thing I was thinking, like, maybe Cincinnati's gonna come out here and play this uh close because you know every other G five school should have been sending inspiring messages to Cincinnati, like yeah. you know, you gotta go out and, and get this Compete. so we yeah. are considered. If we're in this position that you're in again, so, exactly. you know, yeah. And I thought, I thought they, uh, you know, performed valiantly, but obviously just didn't funny enough,
2: pull it out. We, we had talked about it that week. And I akin that game and I felt very, I felt very strongly that it would end up like when Bama played Washington. And for the most part, it was, uh, yeah. when, when Bama played Washington in that, in that playoff game, it was, I think 10, seven Bama at halftime. And then Bama ran, Buck shot in that second half, and ended up winning twenty four to seven. I felt the same way when I walked. And then and most but most Washington fans leaving that, leaving that game felt we played pretty well. I think most Cincinnati fans after that game felt we played.
0: They had their we opportunity. could have been better,
2: but yeah, we we, we you know. In, our, in another day, we may have been able to bring this to a fourth quarter game where it was real like nip and tuck, and they just weren't able to capitalize offensively on some of the opportunities that they had.
0: Got to score touchdowns. Can't yeah, score. absolutely.
2: Touchdowns. Yeah, right especially against a Tina. i'll be honest with you still hasn't found a kicker i don't care what you say about <laughs> right he missed him and he, he still hasn't found a kicker i mean Maybe,
1: you could it, say that about most college teams so uh i know but
2: alabama is funny because their kicking is like the only thing bama has never been able to find no matter how many five stars they are able to bring in everywhere else kicking has always been their achilles hill so I think yeah. it's it's a it's a sore spot for Bama fans when you bring up kickers because they have like running, <laughs> they, like genuinely like you bring it up, they're, like they're like, Yeah, we got all the best receivers it's and like DBs Bears fans, and, and you're like kickers, and they're like, huh, oh, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> that's the one thing everybody can bring up is kickers. Yeah, yeah. Where's they, your kickers? Even, draft even, in the NFL? even punters,
2: they're solid. Playing, huh? Like they had JK Scott, even punters, kickers yeah, in particular. Real sore spot that's for Bama fans.
1: <laughs> that's funny. So uh, all right, so just official picks, uh, you know. We're you're Come we're on. going you're going Come with Georgia right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Nick, let's just repeat it.
0: The projections: twenty seven, twenty six. Georgia winning. What a Georgia. classic! I I classic. love it. I hope. That's that I'd good. be bald by be, Tuesday. That would Jesus. be. Uh, the that's perfect, thread in the needle that would be the perfect sweet spot for me
1: that's that's thread in the not, needle right because you get gamma plus three and georgia wins attack a daddy uh, so um, that would, uh, that that would, that's that that's what we perfect. want.
0: perfect and this year we've been so uh, we don't we don't deserve perfect so
1: i don't expect
2: <laughs> that my hair would look like scott's and by we i mean like me that. i don't deserve. It. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh I I hope I hope that it, it happens that way because I'm gonna be taking Bama, but it's gonna be a great game, I think. So uh two best teams in the country. I don't think there's any debating that. Uh no. and that's what we get for the national title game. So we will be back next week to break it all down, talk about some more. Uh obviously there's gonna be some more transfer portal news and all kinds of good stuff. We might see Bill O'Brien taking a job at Jacksonville. So uh we'll see. There's gonna be a lot to discuss next week. So uh go ahead, Xavier.
2: If Georgia wins, I want everybody to tip their USPS drivers. Uh, obviously, okay. Stetson, Bennett's, Stetson Bennett's nickname is the mailman because he used to wear a USPS hat all of his football camps. If Georgia wins, tip your USPS driver on Tuesday, obviously, if you were going for Georgia. I, I, I think <laughs> right, that's fair. Of
1: course. Uh, in Alabama, they might get mugged. So, uh, But uh, all right, that is going to ah. be it for us for this week. Enjoy the national title game. I'm going to be uh, streaming it. Um, uh, on uh, in this league, so uh, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, it's always a good time uh, because I don't have an invested interest like these guys do, so uh, I'm sure they'll be screaming at their television on Monday night. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Tristy R I C H E for Xavier. Good luck on all your bets, and we will see y'all next week. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.